Hey, this is Pastor Jeff Workmeister of Elevate Church, and welcome to our podcast. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, if you got a Bible, pull out your Bible. If you got an e-Bible, pull out your e-Bible. If you're going to take some notes, take some notes. I encourage you. Um, if you're taking notes, I want you to entitle today, The Invitation. The Invitation. Um, how many of you remember getting an invitation to a birthday party when you were growing up, right? That was like an exciting thing at school, okay, when kids were handing out invitations. Now, how many of you grew up in the 80s, early 90s, okay? How many? Raise your hand, raise your hand, okay? 80s, early 90s, all right, a few of us, okay? If you were having a birthday party in the 80s, or the early 90s, it was only happening at one place and one place only. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Chuck E. Cheese, okay? So I went and looked up this picture, and I thought, these look like like demons, okay? These look like people that haunt you that are in a nightmare. These are people that steal your children, okay? Yet we took our children here to celebrate birthday parties, okay? It was cool when you got an invitation to go to a birthday party. You're like, man, we're gonna go to Chuck E. Cheese. We're gonna get snot all over each other. You know, I'm I'm just the germs. When I go into those places, I'm like, God, help me, okay? I'm a germaphobe, okay? But we were excited because we were going to get to be a part of something cool. We're going to get to be a part of something big, exciting. How many of you got an invitation to go on vacation with a friend? Okay. I remember I got an invitation one time to go with a friend to California. And I was like, man, I grew up in Chicago, got to go see the ocean for the first time. I learned how to surf. I remember I was like out there on the ocean. I thought, I'm not going home. I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to live on the beach. This is amazing, you know? When we get an invitation, it's an invitation to what? It's an invitation to experience what? More, right? It's we're going to experience more. And this is exactly what the Word of God does for us. When we receive the word of God, it is an invitation for what? For us to believe and experience more than we currently have right now. Oh, come on. We are not doing this, okay? Listen, I am back. I I don't care if you were quiet for everybody else. You're not going to be quiet for me, okay? I don't care if it's 9 a.m. We're going to experience more because that's what God has in store for your life. Okay, now listen, I understand a lot of us were quiet right there because we're like, I'm not experiencing more. Amen? And so it what? Sometimes it will taint your view and perspective of God. But just because you have a tainted view of God doesn't mean that his word changes. Amen? All right, go with me. Psalms 37. Some of you are like, man, I'm not ready for Pastor Jeff to be back. Like, he is coming in as a ball of fire right now. Psalms 37, verse 1. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they'll soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they'll soon wither. 
Trust in the Lord, do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Can I get an amen from anybody? You want to live safely and prosper. Verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust in him and what? He will help you. Okay? All right, point number one today is this. Worry never leads to blessing. Worry never leads to blessing. I was watching um, Benny Johnson. A lot of you don't know who I'm talking about. It's Bill Johnson's wife, Pastor Bill Johnson out of Bethel. Um, I've read a couple of Pastor Benny Johnson's books, phenomenal. She was a phenomenal woman of God. She recently passed away and went home to be with the Lord. I was watching her memorial, and she was talking about this vision she had from the Lord. And she said in the vision, she was in heaven with the Lord. And the Lord showed her his hand. And in his hand, he had the world in his hand. And she said, he looked at me and he said, Benny, I, I got this. I got this. I have this. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. I love that the peace of God surpasses our human reasoning, our human understanding, our human emotion, our human, what we're feeling at that moment. The peace of God will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ. Proverbs 12, verse 25 says, worry weighs a person down. Isn't that the truth? It'll weigh you down, make you slow, sluggish, make your mind foggy, hard to process. Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Well, whether you'll have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Let me give you some perspective today about worry, okay? The first thing is this, you were never designed to carry worry. When God created you, when God made you, he didn't design you to create, to carry worry and stress and fear and anxiety. If you don't believe me, just Google what worry, stress, fear, anxiety does to a person's body. It'll destroy your body. It'll wear you down. You'll have no energy. You'll have no hope. You'll look at the future just as destruction. You weren't designed to carry this. How did God design you then? He designed you to do what? To give it to him because he's a good father that has the world in his hand. He's a good father. He knows how to take care of you. 
He knows how to take care of your family. Now, I want to say something. In love to all of our Jesus-loving, conservative people in the house today, okay? I want to say something, okay? And I want to say this. Stop. Look at your neighbor and say, stop. Just say, just say, stop, 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 stop. Stop what? Stop letting your thoughts be dominated by what's going wrong in this world right now. Stop. If you've got to turn the news off, turn it off. I promise you, life will go on and you will be okay. Stop worrying. Stop letting it dominate your thought life. Stop letting it dominate your spirit. I feel so many believers right now, and they're just agitated and they're frustrated. It's dominating their spirit. God said, what? Don't worry about the wicked. Don't worry about them. Okay, so what is the opposite then? Okay, if, if we're, if, what's the opposite reaction if we're not gonna worry about the wicked? The opposite reaction is two things. Number one, it's peace because we know that Jesus is coming really soon. There should be a great peace in your heart. Listen, I, I can't express, I, I don't even know how to articulate what I feel about the Lord coming back. He presses it on me daily. I'm coming back soon. So what should that do in your heart? It should bring extreme peace. Now, listen, I, I, wanna, I wanna take care of a lie that a lot of you in here deal with. A lot of you deal with the thought, well, I still have sin and I still have problems in my life, so if the rapture happens, am I gonna be left behind? And the answer is no, if you put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, okay? He bore all of your failure on what? The cross, amen? So you should have extreme peace that the Lord is coming back soon. Yes, the world is gonna get more wicked. It's gonna get more dark. The closer and the closer we get to Jesus coming back. That's okay. It's okay. I'm not saying that everything in the world is okay. I'm just saying you don't have to overthink about it. You don't have to worry about the wicked. The second thing is this. The question then becomes, when I stop worrying about all that, the question becomes, Lord, why am I here? Oh, I should have got a better amen on that. Lord, why, why am I here right now? Why did you place me at this very moment in history and time? Why am I alive? What is the purpose for my life? I said this at Manfest. Is the purpose of life to just go to work and to eat and to pay taxes and die? What a terrible life. God has more. God has a vision for your life. God has a purpose for your life when you can stop worrying. Now, let me say this. To all of you who are torn between Jesus and evil people, right? Because he said, stop worrying about the wicked, but then what was the other thing he said? He said, stop envying them. Stop looking at them. So when we envy something, that means what? We're looking at that, okay? I remember years ago, I was a youth pastor, and at the time, like, club life was, like, everything in youth culture, okay? 
So I was following all these like club things on, on social media. Cause I was like, you know what? I want to like take some of this stuff of the world and I want to bring it into the youth group and like clean it up and make it fun for the kids. And we did a bunch of that kind of stuff and it was super successful. But I remember like I kept seeing this stuff on social media. So my eyes were on what? Something evil, right? How many of you know this to be a truth? The longer you look at something, you start emptying those things. They're just in front of you all the time. And so all of a sudden you start envying that life, envying those people, envying those moments. And I remember one day I was looking at this and the Lord said this to me, he said, why do you want their life? Why do you envy their life? Their life is hopeless. They, they're, they're trying to find joy. They're trying to find peace. They're addicted. Why do you envy their life? And I thought, oh man, I really missed it, Lord. I really got my eyes off of you and put my eyes on the things of this world. Amen? Point number two is this, do good. Do good. Verse three, it said, trust in the Lord and do what? Do good. Trust in the Lord and do good, and then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Who wants safety for their children? Who wants to prosper? Okay, listen, the Lord says to do what? To do good. Do good. So I'm gonna help all of us do good. So how many husbands do we have in the house today? Raise your hand, husbands. Okay, got husbands in the house. All right, how many wives do we have in the house? Got wives in the house. How many, how many students do we have in the house? Kids, students, raise your hand. Kids, students, raise your hand. Okay, how many of you have a boss or employer? Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand real high. Okay, all right, I'm gonna help all of us. Okay, I'm gonna help all of us. Now, when I said I was gonna help all of us, you should have been like, yeah, yeah. I remember that song from the 90s. Hooray, ho, hip, hip, hooray. Remember that song, Naughty by Nature, okay? Yeah, I know. I don't care what you think, okay? That's what I, when I said I'm gonna help us, it should have been like, hey, ho, hey, ho, yeah, I want some of that. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. I'm interested in getting help today, amen? All right, now I got your attention. I woke everybody up, all right. Colossians 3, Colossians 3. Verse 18, wives are gonna sacrifice me for this, okay? You're gonna crucify me for this. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands. You're like, that is not the help that I wanted. I was not saying hooray, ho, for that help. I don't want that help. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as it is fitting for all those who belong to the Lord. Now, when we hear that word submit, we're like, oh, God, no, Jesus, anything but that, right? What is the Lord really saying when he says the word submit there? We gotta go back to the very beginning of why God created woman. He created a woman to be what? A helpmate, to be an equal partner, right? Like me and Jess, I don't dominate Jess, and Jess doesn't dominate me. We're a team, united, together, amen? Uh, she's my helpmate, okay? Listen, 
There's a lot of decisions that get made in this house, and they get made through my helpmate. I need my helpmate. I need somebody to give me a different perspective. So what it's saying here is saying, wives, be a great helpmate to your husband. Be a great helpmate. When you be a great helpmate, what? You'll do what? You'll live safely and prosper in the land. Amen? All right, so let's keep going. Verse 19, husbands, husbands, okay? Love your wives and never treat them harshly. Yuck. Never treat them harshly. Even when they make bad jokes that you don't think are funny, okay? I mean, really, what is it? It's, it's when you come home and you're exhausted and you're tired and you're worn out and you're mentally fatigued and all of a sudden your wife has issues for you to deal with, right? It says don't treat her harshly. So if you don't treat her harshly, you'll do what? You'll succeed. You'll prosper. All the wives said amen, amen, right? Okay, how about children? Children, students. Children, always obey your parents. Ah, yeah, parents are excited now. Always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. So now when parents say, just do it because I said so, right? How many of you remember that? Just do it because I said so. I'm not even giving you a reason. I don't even have a good reason in my mind. I don't even care what you think. Just do it because I said so. Now you can go, it's biblical. This is what the Lord said, okay? It's biblical. Verse 21. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. Dads, dads, dads. Dads, don't take out your frustration. And listen, dads, I'm telling you, this is something I have had to learn and learn, and learn, and learn. Dads, don't take out your frustration from work or your pressure financially or the pressures of this world. Don't take it out on your children because you're just aggravated at life. And then when they're just being children, let me say that again, they're just being children. You were a child one day, right? You were an idiot one day, okay? (laughs) Remember that. Don't aggravate your children. Okay? Don't discourage them. Verse 22, slaves. Now, I know when we read this, we think slaves. I'm not a slave. I'm no slave. Listen, I'm going to help all of us that have an employer, has a boss, okay? It says, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them at all times, not just when they're watching. Serve them sincerely, Serve them sincerely of the fear of the Lord that you have in your heart. So the Lord's saying, if you'll honor your employer, if you'll bless your employer, if you'll do it even when you think that they don't deserve it. The Lord's saying what? Do as unto me. And then what happens? You'll succeed and prosper in the land that God's given you. Right? Verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do as it was working to the Lord rather than people. You got to decide, like, am I doing this for my employer? Am I doing this for my boss? Am I doing this for my husband? Am I doing this for my wife? What am I doing this for? I'm doing this to honor Jesus. Everything that I do, 
This is how, this is how you'll what? Succeed and prosper in the land that God has for you. We just gotta apply God's truths to it, okay? Point number three is this. Flawed desires. Verse four, verse four, it says this. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, some of you are like, man, my desire is for a boat. (laughs) I'm a captain of my own boat. I'm out on Lake Norris all the time in my boat. (laughs) I got a captain hat. You know what I mean? Like, that's, you're thinking that's my desire. Okay, well, we'll get into that, okay? Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. You will find living within impure hearts. Okay? You will find living within impure hearts. Who has impure hearts? All of us. All of us. We all do. We are not perfect people. We all have hearts that are wayward of what God has best for our life. And Jesus says this. This is what comes out of these impure hearts. Evil ideas, murderous thoughts, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lies, slander. So what is Jesus saying? Every act of evil starts with what? Flawed desires in our hearts. Every act of evil starts somewhere in our heart with a flawed desire in our heart. Listen, every affair, okay, I want you to get this. Every affair, emotional affair, sexual affair, mental affair, there's lots of different affairs that you can have, okay? Every affair starts with what? A desire in the heart that is evil outside of God's plan. It starts there. Just a thought, it's a feeling, it's an emotion that you have that you allow to develop in the heart. So then the question is this, why does God say, I will give you the desires of your heart? Right? Think about that. If our heart has evil and wicked desires and thoughts, why would the Lord say, I'll give you the desires of your heart? Well, if we read the verse again and we read it correctly, what did it say? Take delight in the Lord. That's where it starts. Take delight in the Lord. And then it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Okay. Listen. So what does that mean? You spending time, me spending time with Jesus outside of Sunday morning is critical. It's critical. Because as I spend time reading the word, as I spend time in worship, as I spend time praying, as I spend time with the Lord, what happens? His desires become my desires because I'm spending time with them. Let me, let me illustrate this to you. How many of you have heard this idea that like as people are married, the older they get, they end up looking like each other, talking like each other, acting like each other, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you this, okay? Put up that first picture, okay? This is, this is Tom Brady when, when he was a rookie, okay? All right? Just an average Joe guy. Nothing wrong with being an average Joe guy, but just 
an average Joe guy, just kind of frumpy guy, okay? All right, put up the next picture. Then he gets married and he becomes this. How did he become that? Here, put up the next picture. Look at this, look how creepy this is. Look how creepy that is. That is some creepy stuff right there, everybody, okay? Creepy, 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 okay? Did I illustrate my point? What am I saying? You become like whatever you spend time with. Whatever you spend time with, you're gonna become like that, right? So when verse four says, take the light in the Lord, he's saying what? Come spend time with me. Come have a desire to be with me. Come be in my presence with me. Start your day with me. You know, I'm so excited about this. In September, we are going to do a Bible reading plan again, and we're gonna connect it with our group's ministry, and we want 100%, I mean 100% participation, where we're gonna group you with one of the leaders in our church, and we're gonna have a whole plan through social media, texting. We're gonna keep everybody on track and accountable together, and we're gonna read the New Testament before the first of the year. We're gonna spend time with the Lord. Why? Because I know that when you spend time with Jesus, you'll have what? His desires and thoughts. You'll gain his perspective, his heart. And listen, when we spend that time with him, all of a sudden our desires change. All of a sudden our desires change to be like, oh, I wanna be gracious. I just want to be gracious to my work. I want to be gracious to the drive through lady. I want to be gracious to that person who cut me off. I want to be gracious to that person who stole that thing off the shelf before I got to it. Amen, right? Your desires change. You desire to be kind to your wife. You desire to go, you know what? My wife's been, you know, at home all week with the kids, dealing with the kids. Why don't you just take the night off? And all the husbands said, I'm going to shoot you, Pastor Jeff. What are you talking about, right? I'm going to put the kids to bed? Yeah, you can put the kids to bed, right? Your desires change. Your desires go, I want to be generous. I want to be generous like God. My, my father's generous. I want to serve like Jesus did when he got down and he decided to wash the disciples' feet. I want to be like him. My desires change. I want to find out how does this church, you know what, it's been so exciting. I've had recently like three or four people come up to me and they're like, the Lord's just put this desire in me to ask you how this church needs help. How can I serve in a greater way? Amen, we need it. Listen, we're not stopping where we're at right now. I said a few, uh, you know, like a month ago, we're going to three services. Amen. Come on, you should have said amen. That means we're going to reach more people for Jesus. Amen. But what does that take? People who want to serve. Desire of the Father to go, you know what? I want to be a part of something bigger than my own life. Your desires change when you spend time with the Lord. Last point is this, point number four. The law first. The law first. Verse five says this, commit everything you do to the Lord. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will what? He will help you. Now, 
God's help is really important in my life. This is a big factor. I, I need his help daily. I need his wisdom. I need his thoughts. I need his perspective. And most importantly, I need his what? I need his grace on my life. I need his help. So I want to ask you a question. I want you to write this question down, okay? Here's a question. Where in my life do I make Jesus first? Where in my life do I make Jesus first? What areas of my life, and I'm, I'm talking about like daily things. Where in my life do I make Jesus first? Remember what the verse said, commit everything you do to the Lord. He's talking about daily tasks. He's talking about your job. He's talking about your relationships. So the question is, where in my life do I make Jesus first? He gets first. That when I make decisions about my life, or I make decisions about my future, or I make decisions about my family, does putting Jesus first enter into your thought process? When you're making financial decisions, does putting Jesus first enter your thought process? When you're making decisions about your kid's schooling, does Jesus come first? When you're making decisions about, you know, what college am I gonna go to, does Jesus come first? When you're making decisions about your career, does Jesus come first? When you're making a decision, am I gonna forgive that person? Does Jesus come first? Does Jesus enter your thought process? Because the, the verse says what? Commit everything you do to the Lord. And then it said what? He'll help. He'll help. Now, God is good. Amen? How good is God? I'll show you. Romans 5, verse 6. Verse 6 says, When you were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for your sins. What a wonderful truth. Before you could even accept Jesus, he chose you before you could choose him. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What's it saying? You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We don't deserve that kind of grace. We don't deserve that kind of love. Verse nine, and since we've been made right in God's sight, that's the greatest truth ever. If you never received another blessing, another thing from Jesus, that alone, that you are in right standing, that if you died today, you would be in paradise with Jesus, that's more than enough. It's more than enough. You're in right standing by the blood of Christ. And he certainly has saved us from God's condemnation. Now listen, the result of seeing God's goodness should be what? You're so good, God. 
I'll commit everything I do to you. You're so good to save me from the wrath of hell. You're so good to save my soul. You're so good to let your son die on the cross for me, this wicked, wretched person. You're so good. You're so good. My response is, God, you're so good. I'm going to commit everything I do to you. Now, here's God's promise. He says this. When you commit everything you do to me, he makes a really large commitment back to you. And he says what? I'll help you. I'll help you. Now, that's really good news, okay? Because I mess up all the time. Can I get an amen for anybody? I make bad decisions all the time. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, when, when you're thinking about your time and your kids' time and your future plans and, and, and your own plans, make, it, make me first. Make me first. Make me first in those decisions. See, I think we've had these like huge, you know, pendulum swings. Like back in the 80s and 90s, it was like, you're gonna go to church and you're gonna go to church like every single time the church is open and the church is gonna be open like six days a week and we're gonna be there every day, right? And that's not healthy. And that wasn't right. But then we swing to this far other side where we're like, man, I think God's just optional whenever I feel like it whenever it fits our schedule, whenever it fits our kids' schedule, whenever it's convenient for us to go to church, then we'll go to church. We have these huge swings. Let me get, I'm gonna give you a little story. When I was a youth pastor, I had these two, two guys in my youth group. Uh, one we'll call Grant, and the other one we'll call Ryan, okay? Both of them played AAU basketball. And if you know anything about AAU basketball, it is very long, busy weekends. They dominate your weekends, okay? They'll dominate your Friday or Saturday and your Sunday and parents are just worn out and exhausted and they just wanna get back home sometime Sunday night so they can try to get ready for work on Monday. And they both played AAU basketball. So when AU season came around, it came around, you know, it would be like a three-month period, then another three-month period. I knew that I wasn't going to see Ryan. I was just not going to see Ryan. He's just not going to be there. He'll never be there. Maybe we'll catch him after AU season. You know, I'm a youth pastor. I want the kids there. And you know, you know why I wanted them there? Because I knew when they were there, they were going to experience Jesus. Why do I want you here? Because I know you're going to experience Jesus. I know you're going to receive his word. I know you're going to be encouraged. I know you're going to be under the presence of God. I know that in these moments, God moves in your life and he speaks to you. That's why I'm like, that's why I want you here. So it always kind of bothered me. You know, I, I knew like, hey, AU season C, Ryan. But then we had this other kid, Grant. He played AU also. But his parents were committed 
to Jesus over basketball. So he would be at this tournament all weekend long. I mean, every single weekend. And he was really good. And he was on really good teams. And he wasn't on the teams that would lose on, you know, Saturday morning and they would go home. He was the team that was winning championships on Sunday. And I promise you, every Sunday night, Grant was at youth group. He never missed. He'd come in in his AAU uniform. And it might be late sometimes, but he never missed. They never missed. It wasn't optional. It was the most important thing. Now, what happens? They grow up, they graduate, and when they graduate, they're old enough to do what? To make their own decisions, right? So Ryan grows up, and he grew up in a system that said, Jesus is optional in our home. We don't commit everything unto the Lord. It's optional whenever we feel like it's a good thing to do. It's just an optional choice. So when he got older and he had the opportunity to make his decision if he was gonna serve the Lord, honor the Lord, trust the Lord, put his future in the Lord's hand, to trust the Lord, it was what? It was optional and because it was optional, he chose to opt out of that. But Grant on the other end, the other one, when it wasn't optional, and let me be very clear, Grant wasn't a perfect kid or a perfect person, and he's still not today. But when he got old enough to make his own decisions, it was not an option for him not to make Jesus the Lord of his life. And I know, like, <laughs> you're like, you're stepping on my toes. No, I'm not stepping on your toes. The Lord is stepping on your toes. Because the Lord said what? Commit everything you do to me and I'll what? I'll help you. I'll help you. Because I promise you, let, parents, let me be very clear to you. Very clear to you. You may think the greatest thing that could ever happen to your child is to get a college scholarship. I promise you, the greatest thing that could ever happen to your child is for them to have a real, authentic relationship with Jesus, that they will choose Him and live for Him, and there's nothing more important on this earth than that. It says, commit everything you do to me, I'll help you. I'll help you. I'm so thankful for moments in my life that God helped me. Put up that picture of that red car. This is my baby, <laughs> okay? Back in the day, I bought one of these. Turbocharged. I remember one time I was out at the airport, hit the gas, got to 110. That thing sunk down to get even more aerodynamic, took off, got to 150. This thing was bad. And I bought this thing. And I remember when they came to me and they were like, so the payment's gonna be uh, $460. And I was like, cool, <laughs> let's do it. And I signed my life away. Here's the what happened? I never took a moment to ask the Lord, Lord, is this what you want for me? 
right? Commit everything you do unto the Lord. I never took a moment to say, Lord, is this what you have in store for me and my family? I was just in love with this red fast car and I was in a season, I'll be honest with you, I was in a season in my life that was super depressed. Isn't it funny how like when you get into depressed seasons, when you get into lonely seasons, when you get into seasons that you think God has forgotten about you, you get into seasons where you don't quite understand what happened, what's happening in your life, you can't figure everything out. It's in those seasons we can make really bad decisions. And I made a really bad decision. I didn't ask the Lord about this at all. And what happened? It put me into a position where I couldn't honor the Lord financially. And I was a pastor. Young, young pastor. I was a pastor. But I couldn't honor the Lord. I couldn't make the Lord first in our finances. I couldn't make the first the Lord first in a lot of things because I was spending $460 a month that I didn't have at that time on this red card to try to make me happy. So thankful for Pastor Jeff and Je Beth. They called me in their office one day and they said, hey, the Lord told us to look at all the staff members' tithing records and we saw that you're not tithing. And I thought, man, I'm like busted. Like they're gonna fire me. They're gonna boot me. They're gonna be, and, 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 and they were upset but they were very gracious and they said, what is the issue? What's the root problem? It was this. I'd made decisions outside of God and I couldn't honor him. And so they gave me an ultimatum. They're like, well, you can honor God or you can lose your job. And I was like, I think I'll honor God. And it was wonderful. I needed that. And so we made a decision we got rid of the red Jetta. And at the time, we had no money. I mean, we had no money to our names. But you know what's interesting is that the moment that you choose to honor God and to make choices to honor God, He will do what? Just like He said, He'll help you. We had no money. I mean, zero money. So we got rid of the car. We had no car. I'm like, I'm going to walk to work. I'm going to walk to the grocery store. But God is what? He's good. And when you choose him, he will what? He'll help you. So what happened? All right, put up the next picture. So somebody in our church, somebody in our church found out that I had no car. And they came to me and they said, hey, the Lord told me to give you this. And it was $2,100 cash. Isn't that awesome? God is so good. He's so faithful. He's so faithful. And they gave me that $2,100 and I was able to buy a 1997 Mercury Mountaineer. Come on, somebody. And I promise you, that thing had zero shocks. You would have thought that we had hydraulics. Me and Jess and Michael bouncing down the road in our 1997 Mercury Mountaineer. But you know what that car gave us? It gave us the opportunity to honor the Lord, to put Him first, to commit everything we do unto Him. And we drove that car for like two years. 
And we just faithfully honored the Lord financially. We gave and we gave and we gave and we learned to trust the Lord and we learned to put him first. And we just kept driving that car and driving that car and driving that car. Now, here's the cool thing. Because God will continue to help you. How many of you know the story of my, of my Honda Pilot that I've had for 14 years? You've seen me drive it for six years, okay? Had that car for 14 years. Somebody in our church came to us and they said, hey, we just bought this Honda Pilot, like literally two months before. And they said, we paid $20,000 of it at the beginning of it. And the Lord told us, to give you this car and to give you all of that equity. And if you need help to make the payment super cheap so you don't get in trouble, we're here to help you. And I ended up driving that car for 14 years. I promise you, if you'll commit everything to the Lord, he'll do exactly what the word says. He will help you. He'll help you. But it comes down to that question. In our family, what are we making first? What comes first in our home? Do we build a culture? Because here, here's what I believe. All I have to do in our home is build a culture that we put Jesus first and our kids will follow. Our kids will learn from us. They'll watch us. And they'll go, mom and dad put Jesus first all the time. That's how we live this life. Amen? Why don't you stand up this morning? 